This is the Notepod. So the first thing, I guess like a shorter overarching goal is looking for a house. Won't get into the details of that, but Amy and I are house hunting in that process. Updates to come. This reminded me of the book, The Psychology of Money, Timeless Lessons on Wealth, Greed, and Happiness by Morgan Housel. He talks about his own, this is a great book, one of my favorite books from last year and probably like one of the ones I would recommend. I see this now on Twitter. Anytime there's a book list of like, oh, these are the 10 books for, for productivity, it makes sense, right? Like you're going to see Atomic Habits there, but I'll see it in almost any popular thread. It could be about, it doesn't have to be about habits. It, it'll just be something about like business success or something like that. And then someone will reply like, oh, hey, what, what about Atomic Habits? Because you need habits for that. Creativity. And then you'll see like, oh, what about Atomic Habits? I love Atomic Habits, by the way. But yeah, just seeing it recommended all the time. There, there's nothing wrong with it. I have, I'm just pointing out, I've noticed that is the one that everyone seems to recommend. And then Psychology of Money is kind of in the same league as for me as far as if someone is just getting started with personal self-development books starting their career or like late in the like i thought it was really great now actually like mid-career to read psychology of money because it does this is where you're starting to make probably bigger financial decisions where early on it's kind of like let me just find a job that pays well but as you get closer, start looking for a house, that sort of thing. Let me get to the book quote. So he says, we're so far committed to the independence camp that we've done things that make little sense on paper. We own our house without a mortgage, which is the worst financial decision we've ever made, but the best money decision we've ever made. Mortgage interest rates were absurdly low when we bought our house. Any rational advisor would recommend taking advantage of cheap money and investing extra savings in higher return assets like stocks. But our goal isn't to be coldly rational, just psychologically reasonable. That's the end of the quote. And he talks about this difference between being rational and being reasonable. You can find the logic in a spreadsheet and do the calculations for how you should do certain things. But it removes, say, like the psychology of it. And this whole book, Psychology of Money, is about how we think about money. We just get, it's one of these things where there's beliefs that come from all different directions. A lot of it, of course, is how you were raised. So how your parents viewed money and whether you continue to take those beliefs on is one thing, or if you rebelled against it in some way, there's definitely that genera generational aspect of it as far as like if you've told like my parents are very much in the i wouldn't say very much but definitely like in the camp of if you're paying rent you're just burning money which i mean it's true but it is fine there there's an upside to it as well like i, I wouldn't be if i bought a house when i first moved or first started working probably would not have moved around as much and had those experiences if especially like moving to new york and trying to buy right away like that wasn't really going to be possible anyway the, yeah i do like this framing of rational or 
rational versus reasonable. I think I said rationable. And that kind of goes beyond, of course, like money decisions. And that's where a lot of the, there's books like Alchemy and then the like Dan Ariely books about how we frame things the wrong way sometimes, like in illogical ways, irrational ways, particularly irrational. So that's the Dan Ariely book. And of course, like Daniel Kahneman, like those sorts of books are, are all about this. And Psychology of Money is one of the better ones specifically about money and just goes through these different things. How does this affect me? I would say, I, I did mention it, it is the whole house thing and then figuring out, it, it does become this thing like once you start getting toward the end of the process, it, it becomes super weird. How, same thing with the wedding last year, you just start thinking like, oh, that's another thousand dollars. Let's do it. Like that's another thousand. Let's do it. But then I'll take like, I just bought headphones and spent way too much time. Not way, way, way too much time, but like, you know, a couple hours thinking about which headphones to get. And I guess that can jump into the next book note. So what I have here is increase how to increase your fiddle factor. So this is book note number two. I am reading a biography about Joni Ive, and he talks about Joni Ive is the industrial designer, Apple's designer for decades. He was leading design at Apple for decades. He previously was only doing hardware, and then eventually got the reins for software and eventually left Apple in the the past few years, but one of the closest collaborators with Steve Jobs. And yeah, just like a design icon. I am still reading this book so far. I think I'm maybe like a hundred pages in, uh, say like a fifth of the way or a quarter of the way through the book. And he has gone through school, done some agency work, and now has started at Apple in, I think it is the early nineties when he started there. But through this whole process, he's getting recruited. Like he was a design star right when he started school and was just someone who excelled. Everyone points out how hard he works. Very inspiring to see that he's just making like iteration after iteration after iteration. It's inspiring. And also like, oh man, like, am I ever going to work that hard on something to get that good at something? Probably not at this point. So that's something to sort of come to terms with. And I'm okay with that. Which does remind me of Psychology of Money, where he talks about like everyone idolizes Warren Buffett, but would you trade lives? Maybe not. There were sacrifices made to get to his level of wealth. But back to this Joni Ive book, here's the quote. He talks about one of his early projects. This was way before Apple. He was working on making pens for Zebra. I think this was through through the agency, but he says, or not Johnny, Johnny saying this in the book. So the book quote, in working out his design, Johnny chose to focus on the pen's fiddle factor. He observed that people fiddled with their pens all the time and decided to give the pen's owners something to play with when not writing. He cleverly added a ball and clip mechanism to the top of the pen that served no purpose other than to give the owner something to fiddle with. The fiddle factor notion may have seemed trivial to some, but the incorporation of the ball and clip transformed the pen into something special. That's the end of the quote. 
they talk about how this was kind of this new idea back then. And that is something to remember that a lot of things that we just take for granted were designed probably in like the past hundred years. They talk about early soda stream. So I, I didn't even know soda stream was went back that far, but that latch mechanism on, we have a soda stream. So there's this latch that you can pop off the back and then that allows you to get to the gas tank inside that was kind of the basis for it inspired like those battery panels that don't require a screwdriver that you can slide on and off. They have a similar latch and things like this, like Johnny, his design for this pen with this ball on top to fiddle with was a new idea. And they just talk about how he thought about how people are going to interact with the object beyond just the writing portion of it, that you have these other times where you're just holding it and that sort of thing. And throughout his career at Apple, he created things that you're touching, but it's not strictly, f what is it? It's not uh, strictly function, right? He's thinking about how these things look in your home, how you're going to play with your phone eventually, with your laptop, what these things look like, how they feel in your hand and that sort of thing. And how this applies, I guess, to, I mentioned to my, to me recently, topical, top three sort of thing. I just got Apple AirPods Max, which uh, just today, actually, I was, I, I got them when they first were released. They were too heavy. And then I returned them recently. And I have like Powerbeats Pro and then also AirPods. What are they called? AirPods Pro that I use regularly. I just, depending on if I need them really, like for workouts, I'll usually use the Powerbeats, but otherwise I'll use the AirPods Pro. But then I started using my old Bose headphones for work just to do more calls and really liked having the over the ear thing i don't know it it puts me in a better mood for work in some way like it it's a reminder of like oh this is time to focus but my i don't know exactly what it is but the bluetooth maybe was <laughs> i don't know if bluetooth can get old but the headphones were getting old so it would just like drop the connection here and there which can be like pretty annoying if it's happening right in the middle of a meeting wanted a replacement and I didn't quite want to just, it became a thing of, this is just like, oh, I want, I want something new. I don't want the old thing. I don't want to rebuy the old thing. And the new version of the Bose QC35 is the Bose QC45, which looks pretty much the same and has USB-C. And from what I've read, has pretty much the same performance. And a lot of people say it sounds worse. So I didn't, I wanted to switch it up and instead went for the Amazon renewed AirPods Max. I, I read some more reviews. People say, like, oh, you can kind of get used to how heavy they are. So I'm going to try that and we'll see. One problem today, they came and are still connected to the other person's account. So I need to return them because they can track me wherever I go. All right. This last book note is from Stealing Focus. Actually, I'm not sure if that's the title, 
but it is, oh, here we go. Stolen Focus, Why You Can't Pay Attention and How to Think Deeply Again. This is a book by Johan Hari. And it is, let's see, it says, Our ability to pay attention is collapsing from New York Times bestselling author. Chasing the scream and lost connections comes a groundbreaking examination of why this is happening and how to get our attention back. That's the end of the, oh, that's not the quote. I've been reading a lot more books about focus and just have felt like pretty unfocused in the past few months. I guess generally like I have a hard time, but in the past month or two, a lot of it is because I have the Redfin notifications, that sort of thing. So that that can really eat up the attention. So yeah, I'm just reading more books about it. And I'm not too far in this book, but it starts off with him taking like a three-month retreat, like a three-month cleanse. So he's not doing the 10-day meditation silent retreat with no devices. He is going like checking into a hotel for three months and he has absolutely none of his devices with him. He has the autoresponder on his email and it sounds like he's just pretty much unreachable. We'll see how it goes. And then I think the rest of the book, he talks about like things he learned as he interviewed experts around the world about focus and how primarily like technology is affecting our ability to focus. And here's the quote from the book. He says, I sent my first email about five years later when I went to university. I was 19 years old. I wrote a few sentences and clicked send and waited to feel something. No surge of excitement came. I wondered why there was such a fuss about this new email thing. If you had told me that within 20 years, a combination of these two technologies that seemed initially either repellent or yonsome would come to dominate my life to the point where I would have to get on a boat and flee, I would have thought you had lost your mind. That's the end of the quote. And of course, one technology is, as he mentioned, email. The other one is mobile phones. And he talks about his first interaction with someone using one of the like giant cell phones in the early 90s. And I think this was in London and just someone saying, calling the other person a wanker for using the phone and talking out loud in public on a bus. But I thought, yeah, this was just interesting as I'm also reading the Johnny Ive book because Johnny Ive, of course, has, he designed computers and then was, of course, involved in designing the iPhone. And that is probably like in, maybe I'm wrong about this, but one of the most touched devices in the world, if you're just like in history, probably if you're counting all the generations together and just how many of them there are and what kind of influence that has. But one thing that I did try, there's this other video. It's by this artist named Struthless. He's an animator. He has a YouTube channel and he talks about this automation that he had set up on his phone and I tried it. It is, I set it up with like Apple shortcuts and it's a really dumb automation. What I did was it says like, Whenever I open Instagram, open up drafts to like this micro journaling note. And that's what Struthless talks about in his video. It's about like journaling for a year and how to build that habit. Redirect one of your bad habits to it. And I don't think Instagram is like a completely bad thing. But once it's to the point where I'm like checking it 
doesn't. Maybe after, say, like the 10th time that I've checked it, then it's something to be concerned about a little bit as far as my attention goes. So instead, it just opens up this note called microjournaling, and I just write a few sentences in there. A lot of them just say, uh, I tricked myself again. I tricked myself again. I'm such a, a moron, blah, blah, blah. But it's started to help me build awareness in just how often I am trying to distract myself. So I am looking forward to continuing to read this book and just learn about distraction and that sort of thing. I'm not really thinking that reading this book is going to solve all those issues, but if I can come away with a few hacks to try that work for a few weeks, I'll count that as a win. In the meantime, I hope this podcast provided a nice distraction for you. And I'll be back hopefully next week with three more notes to share. Thanks for listening.